Hi there, I'm Paul Mitchell, leadership coach, author, and founder of The Human Enterprise. Well, welcome to Leaders for Life Radio, where we interview transformational leaders from business, from the community, sports, and the arts. Today, we'll be hearing from Bill Jennings, who's the founder and director of Time and Space. Bill provides an incredible service to schools internationally, helping our youth make greater connections with their parents, and it doesn't get any better or, I guess, more important than that. In this interview, you'll hear why these connections are so important, particularly in our modern, fast-paced world, what gets in the way of making these connections, how important that kids tell their own story, that parents tell their own story, and that there's a shared story between them. So whether you have kids or don't have kids, this work is still so relevant because the children of today are going to be our leaders of tomorrow. Let's tune in to some of the key messages here from Bill Jennings from Time and Space. So Bill, again, thanks for coming. Uh, I know the, uh, our listeners have got a little bit of information uh, about you on the intro, but we'd love to hear from you. So um, uh, what's your role and uh, what's it involve? Well, Paul, uh, great to be here. Um, so I'm Bill Jennings and uh, I founded a company called Time and Space, which is uh, a service to the education community. So I exclusively work for schools and uh, quite a few around Australia and a few in the UK. And my job and a growing number of others' jobs is to help young people and their mums and dads or mentors have conversations that they thought they'd always like to have, but when were they ever going to get the time and space wow. to do it? What a, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mission and such a, such a needed thing to do when so many kids are, I guess, a bit displaced from their parents or disenfranchised, disengaged. And when you say uh, education, is, is it only, is it only um, in uh, the schooling system up to year 12? Do you run some universities? Yeah, it's actually that? secondary schools. A few right. years ago, I got a bit clear about the fact that there's conversations to have when there's that common experience of kids arriving yeah. in schools, so transition times, and then uh, getting to... The, uh, the young people, maybe in say year seven and eight, in the early years of junior secondary, and uh, there are events that are done along the four combinations of parents and their kids. So, right. mother, son, and father, daughter, usually around year seven when they're starting school, and then father, son, and mother, daughter uh, in uh, year eight or beyond. But you know, we tailor to whatever the school's needs are, and that's really important to us to work that out. Right. But effectively, there. Are, it's a, it's a two and a quarter hour event where they go through a set of three conversations and it culminates with the young person and their parent or mentor being able to share memories, their first memories of each other, right. talk about now with some challenging questions right. and come up with a, a bit of an action plan for the future, how we're going to keep connected and so stay you, in touch. So like you, you're basically working in... In three within that space in three time frames is it to uh, to parallel the name of you what where it was where we are right now in this moment and I guess what they're going to do going forward so so why the need um, uh, Bill it's an interesting thing that you're going into schools to do this yes Did you see a need that parents and their kids weren't connecting and that, that was the best way to get to them and what was what was the need that came up in the first place I I'm still a qualified teacher right. I've been running time and space full-time for nine years now Paul right uh, so 
I had one of those jobs in a in a big uh, boys' school in Melbourne, and worked for a couple of them in sort of senior leadership roles. Where uh, you know, beautiful opportunity where the boss kind of said, "Create where you see a need." So I was I was the fellow who uh, might have taken uh, young people off on what they we would have called street retreats right. in those days. You know, go and uh, live a bit rough on a church hall floor and go and help on a soup van, those sorts of things. So lots of programs that maybe opened up perspective in lives. And then way back in my formative years going through uni, I was part of a youth program that effectively uh, just ran weekends for kids from schools around Victoria. I come from Melbourne. And uh, they were camps that just uh, where the small group and the interactive thing happened. And we got to a point where people got to share their own narratives, their own stories of their life. No one from the same school was in that group. Um, uh, so, so you'd have a group of six kids, but they'd be from six different schools. And the liberation that kind of came from being able to say, this is who I am, with a few of your, your mates and your other people there, but to go into a small group where you got to sort of do that. And so I've applied that to time and space. So right. in, the, in the small groups on the, on the, at the programs, when the kids go off to small groups, you know, we go to intergenerational groups, say it's a father-daughter night, there'll be six dads and six girls, but there's no father-daughter combo in there and answering questions about, you know, what mm. advice would you give to the other generation? Mm. It works really nicely. Uh, Mother-son night. You know, parents are fascinated by how articulate the kids can be. They're wondering what their kid's saying in another in group. group. Yeah. So tell me, uh, let, if we go right to the end point, yep. and what's the joy that you get from it? What sorts of things do you see? What sorts of uh, connections are made that possibly couldn't have been made had you not done that beautiful work? I've got... Uh, a story about a dad at Melbourne High School, uh, selective entry school, a lot of kids. So it starts in year nine, which uh, is a challenge in itself because they're pretty cool in year nine. So yeah. to get some bums on seats at that Too kind cool of age level, that's it. Um, and and lots of uh, families that come from South Asian communities, so Indian families and uh, where there's that, you know, maybe the boys, it's a boys' school, maybe uh, there's that kind of generational gap around the parent expectation and the high values of education mm. that are you know, huge parts of their culture. And that, that classic thing where uh, parents are seeing school and maybe a little bit anxious about not knowing how to help their lad. Uh, selective entry school, there's 350 kids at the top in the state. I always feel sorry for the fellow who's 350th. <laughs> He's still pretty high up yeah. academically. So... It's actually a beautiful evocation of what happens at a time and space. And so in any school community, they're having a chance to share things where they might go, gee, I'd, I'd never thought you remembered that or I'd heard that from you. So there's this, there's this revelatory dimension to discovering someone who you've shared your life with that just getting to an intentional point where you get to have a guided conversation. Uh, we do an evaluation. I'm still a bit old school, so we do a handwritten evaluation at the end of the night this dad, was his face was lit up, came up to me at the end of the evening. So a feature of a time and space session, Paul, is everyone brings a treasure, which is a memento, a symbol of something special in their relationship with the other person. They keep it a surprise. We make a display of them at the end of the night. We drop the lights. We turn on the LED lights. And we have some words of encouragement from each generation to the other. So at this father-son night, one father would have stood up and said some words of encouragement to the boys, and then his son would have read some words of encouragement to the dads on behalf of the lads. 
And this father said, and you know, we had a hundred plus evaluations in a pile. He said, could I get my evaluation back? And I said, why? He said, because you collected them up before you did that last thing. Uh, because I'd written down what I thought was the best thing in the night, which was, I cannot remember the last time that I had a conversation of that level with my son. Mm. But what we do in the words of encouragement is we ask them, if it's okay with your other person, as a sign of encouragement, could you put your hand on their shoulder? Well, they might even let you put your arm around them. And this man said, and he said, even longer period, I cannot remember the last, last time, time my son touched me. So, I mean, that is just that magnificent to be able to make those connections. And what do you think has happened in our world that it's taking an event like this for people to make that? What, what, what's been the... How come we're not making those connections? Have you noticed that people are going fast, Paul? I've noticed the speed's <laughs> pretty fast. The world is going fast and uh, there's always generational differences. There's always that generation gap. Mm. Uh, but it won't be long before the parents of the current day did grow up uh, as digital natives. Mm. But there's still a few parents where the world that their children have been immersed in is is one that they've only ever known. Yeah. So I think there is increased worry in amongst parents in society. I, I've sort of got this theory that, you know, apart from, you know, the, the times of war and those sorts of things, I, I wonder whether parents have ever been more anxious. Mm. I think society's more complex. So when you consider just something as simple as young people being able to go out and have a natural rite of passage and be in a share house, it's hard to go and rent now. Um, the chance to buy property, uh, the, getting into uni, uh, the, the gig economy, which is making permanency of work much harder to access. It's a pretty complex society that young people are progressing into. And I do think, and people would have observed this, you'd know that the overlay of technology is such that uh, I think it's hard enough for us adults to not be distracted by amplified lives. and. So what we're so, saying here, I guess you're saying that uh, one, it's not just the speed, it's the actual massive quantity of, of stuff that we have happening in our lives which has caused a, not even a rift but just doesn't create the space for people to connect. I guess there's a, a, a lesson for leaders here too, that leaders are so busy with their own technical work, be it sales work or marketing work or financial work, they can forget to sit down and have those deep, meaningful conversations and really make connections with their people or their peers. And I love the fact that a dad gets up or a mother gets up at the end and a, and a son or a daughter gets up, but both those people are leaders, it's not one or the other, and that they're actually just expressing themselves. Bill, can I take you back to, you also talked about uh, allowing them to do their narrative. It, it seems that storytelling and metaphors and so forth have really weaved their way into the corporate world as well too. What what do you find is uh, is so important about people being able to say their narrative, to tell their narrative? How often do we get to do that at the depth that... Uh, uh, another, another aspect of time and space is it all actually came from some father-son camps, so multi-session programs. The ones I was talking about before were one-night programs, but... Uh, uh, at this sort of father-son program that I run, people get to actually draw their story. And the question, we get the young people to actually lead the groups. Mm. And uh, the question they ask at the end is, how does it feel to tell your story? Yes. And ha have, 
have you ever done that before? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of blokes in their 50s go, oh, I did a small exercise at work. Mm. But They'll no. they tell their story. Yeah. So it's just, it's such a, it's such a crucially human thing, isn't mm. it? It's what de- defines us, shapes us. And, you know, uh, every person's different and every story is fascinating. So, um, so you're, getting, you're getting the parents to tell their story, the kids to tell their story, and then, of course, is, that, is our combined story yeah. that you end up in the end. Can you give us an idea of some of the, some of the questions that, that really get a lot of responses happening, just to give a, not the total process, but just a bit of an idea of well, the, the great questions? So the night culminates with a one-on-one conversation. So they've been away from each other at different points. But they've, uh, you know, they come back from their small group having been in a different group. Parents, having got to hear from six or seven of their child's peers, and the young people being able to hear some insights as well. One of the questions in the small groups on one of the nights is, uh, "Would you like to offer a piece of advice to the other generation?" Wow, wow! And uh, tell me, what's an example of what some young kids would say to their parents, and what some parents would say to their uh, young kids? Classically, it would be, "Could you please?" Put your heads up from your devices and come and speak to us. Wow. Uh, Is that from the parents or the kids? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, Paul, there's a lot of parents out there that are, you know, uh, that have challenges with devices and tech. Yeah. But, uh, but generally, the, the kids would be asking for a little bit more freedom. Right. And that dance of how do you negotiate where the boundaries are as they're getting older. Yeah. But then the one on one conversation at the end of the night, right in the heart of the now questions, the past, the present, the future. Uh, the, the now questions are, what's the best thing about me being your mum or dad, uh, about me being your son or daughter, mm. followed by, what's the hardest thing? Yeah. And I actually studied this exercise for my master's. Wow. And I wonder, you know, people listening here, if you're a parent, would it be, uh, would there be a chance that you might have at one stage, given feedback to your child about what the hardest thing is about being their parent. like, mm. And often it would come from a space of being very frustrated and at the end of your tether. So what happens at these events is, let's, you know, in a big school, it might be a hundred pairs sitting in a big school hall yeah. in pairs of chairs. Yeah, 200 people. Sort of yeah, thing. sitting down, having these conversations half a metre away from each other. Um, and Paul, what I noticed in the research as it came through, really interestingly for the outcomes for the parents, is that, again, we're living in a time where I think we're worrying about our, are our kids going to make a successful transition to adulthood? And so sometimes when we're frustrated with our kids, what have you, it does, it, it's probably coming from a space of fear. And what I think happens at these nights is there's this shift and they shift from perhaps being a bit worried and they're so impressed by the answers their kids give that they feel like they're going to get there. Well, it's, it's, it's great, isn't it? Because uh, when, when you have a sense of hope uh, replacing worry or fear, um, you know you're in good hands. And I think sometimes we, can, we, uh, we write generations off rather than actually really listening to them. So, Bill, one of the things that's uh, uh, it's, it struck me is that you must have learned a lot about leadership along the way because um, you may not see yourself as a leader or label yourself as a leader, but nevertheless, you're leading a bit of a revolution here in terms of, you know, you know, connecting people. And what, what I love is what a wonderful name that, that it really is that space between them. Yes. Um, in the corporate world, I was thinking, gee, what would it be like to, for leaders to go 
to their to their directs what's the hardest thing about being uh, one of my direct reports and what's the best thing and vice versa what would that direct leader say to the to their leader direct report what's the, you know what's the hardest thing of having me of one of your on your team and what's the greatest thing and i think the difference there is that we're talking about the relationship where so often these days those conversations are not had they're, they're 360s we fill out a form or we give data rather than really making that connection so i'm just wondering um what sort of connections have you had to make to build the business up to where it is right now oh the connection internally to Both internally to yourself yes connection to other people yeah. yeah so what's what's the intention and 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 why why pursue time and space uh perhaps as a life legacy and and got i've developed some words uh Maybe the word in education resilience has lost a bit of its salt. It gets bandied around yes, a lot. Yeah. I feel like time and space is in the business of building up family resilience. Mm. So it's working with the generations in the school community. And, um, and the leadership lessons I think I've learned along the way is if I haven't felt a little bit stretched and a bit vulnerable in recent times, I'm mm. probably coasting a bit. Right. So uh, maybe the leadership's come from uh, making a decision to leave teaching, right. uh, work without a net, mm. uh, take a reduction in. Uh, I remember in my last term of being a salaried teacher, going to the pigeonhole and going, "Gee, this is a good system, isn't it?" No one knows, no one knows what my performance has been the last two weeks. I'm, they're giving me the same amount of money. Yeah. Uh, the thing uh, that I love about the work and going to work for schools is, uh, if they get you back next year, that's pretty good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So it's motivating. And they certainly are. They're, you're telling me some schools is like two, three years or something? Or, uh, yeah. or one school's 11-year client. Wow. Uh, so we've got over 90% repeat. Yeah. And I think they sort of see... And So there's some layers to it too, Paul, because we invite people to be generous. And at the, on those evaluations we spoke about, at the end of the night, they can tick a box to say, would you like to come back and help in the future? And, and the premise of them being there is you've got a slightly older kid and you're running the small group tonight, or it could be a senior kid or someone helping the background. And you know, leadership at the other level is just the, the, the wonderful thing about being able to see, you know, secondary schools often start to get that desert of uh, volunteering occur. Primary schools have classically got the parents waiting outside the door, the yeah. Saturday working bees. Yeah. Kids are naturally pushing away in high school. So I think one aspect that's really practical leadership is that time and space has been able to create another layer so it's an experience for the participants but i think from the leaders in the schools i've stood next to principals as they watch other parents up on a community panel talking about what it was like when their kid made their transition and principals are just delighted uh, that perhaps 10 or 15 mums or dads have come back from previous years to help senior kids are helping it's, a, it's another great lesson for leaders to uh, are you creating that space? And I love your term, uh, we invite them to be generous. We invite yeah. their generosity in. And I think uh, so many people want to give and want to be generous, but often there's not a, not a fruit bowl, not a context to hold that generosity. Yeah. And so what you're, what you're doing is it's not a one-off thing. You're creating a, 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 a community. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think we, we're craving community now. It's very interesting that... A lot of people, their kids leave school and they think, well, that's it, fantastic. We're not paying any more school fees or whatever. But, uh, and, and they, but what they really miss is we don't have that connection anymore yes. back to the school. 
Uh, the other great thing too that the, I think a lot of our listeners who have kids will find is that um, I can guarantee you that some of the best connections you now have in your in, in as your as your own friends have been made through your kids. Yeah, and, and through true your enough. Parents, and so I think it's wonderful if we can sort of build on that. So, um, so what have you learned as a leader along the way as you've grown this business? Because you've had to work with parents, you've had to work with school principals, you've had to work with the kids. You probably had people that were supporting of you or not supporting you. What are the leadership lessons that you've learned? Uh, well, I think. You know, in a business sense, mm. uh, it's it's going back to that repeat business dimension as perhaps being the best form of feedback. Uh, if if we're maintaining uh, schools that want to keep doing time and space, that they embed it as something they offer their families. Um, so what's what's within that, Paul, is this intense motivation to be better the next time. Right. And I love the the Japanese concept of kaizen. Okay. Yeah. You know, small incremental improvements. And, yep. and if we're not just picking up one little thing, you know, we'll read every evaluation that comes through. If we're not uh, notice, you know, sometimes we'll get suggestions from the team members. We go, gee, we never thought of that. And so there's little pieces of gold that can be implemented. Uh, so, you know, that, that bit of improvement. Uh, within it, too, are the challenges of running events. And so, you know, we're working with really complex organisations in schools and, and finding ways to gently perhaps coax a de- deputy principal who's... So what, what we also do is we kind of give a package. So it's not just the guy going in, I'm not really giving a parenting talk. I'm, I'm, or one of my facilitators is evoking the expertise in the room from the participants. They get, we're, giving them, we're facilitating the chance for them to talk. But we also provide a package at the start to help them communicate about the event. So one of the things with my experience in schools is they're so busy and I think this probably applies to a lot of organizations why didn't we get so many bums on seats there what what happened and part of it is having a really good plan for how do you communicate about it uh, and then giving lots of information to the right people about how you set things up so for those conversations to be ones that are safe the spaces the way you set up an event it, I'm I'm quite pedantic about it uh, and then how do you build up the team? So there's a lot of pre-work that happens. Now, what might happen in the middle of there is there's a senior leader who's my key contact. And over the years, I've learned that um, amongst our my little admin team, we might be identifying this particular leader is fantastic at getting us senior student volunteers, but the actual communications are just sitting in the in-tray. So how do we... Um, in a way that's respectful to them, just ask, do you reckon we could um, just copy you to an email to your PA <laughs> and push that out? And so we're always looking at how might we be able to, what's the, what's sort of the practical goal for this school? Let's get as many families at this event as we can. And then it's about le- actually getting to know the strengths and weaknesses of the people that we rely on in the school to help us once again, I mean, that's just great leadership, isn't it? Sort of uh, knowing what the strengths are, knowing what the vulnerabilities are, yeah. and then going in to support them, let them run with it where they're strong and, uh, and try to sort of help with the, uh, with the vulnerabilities. One of the things you talked about, which is becoming very, very much a, a huge issue in organisations these days, is this psychological safety, the concept of psychological yeah. safety, not just physical safety. And psychological safety, I can say what I, what I want to say, I can give feedback to my boss or whatever, that I feel safe to, 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 to speak up, to, to, to talk out. 
And you also mentioned that you spent a lot of time creating the environment, um, I guess the physical environment, where the chances of that are much greater. Tell us a bit about that. What's some of the physicality you think that leads to a great psychological environment of safety? Well, those one-to-one conversations uh, happen on paired chairs. So we actually have two lots of audience seating. There's traditional theatre-style seating for when they're hearing messages to the whole group. But there's points at which we break out to to these paired chairs. Now, talk about pedantic. Like, I angle them in such a way that there's no pair of chairs immediately near each other that are parallel. So it actually, as, as the, the pairs go and sit down to share their memories, talk about now, talk about the future, they, they become into their conversation. So and those paired chairs, are they actually with the parent and child? Or yeah, yeah. So the parent and child are in there, or yeah. it might be an icebreaker at the start. They're used a couple of different ways. But effectively, the way they're set up to be able to enable a private conversation, but in this kind of, it's almost like mm-hmm. a pointless painting of uh, this big community uh, and what I call it Paul is it's like community practice but there's this safe sense of I know there's people around me but I'm just about oblivious and you can walk past one conversation where there's sentimental tears being shed and then a parent in just complete stitches because of the first memory that was so random their kid remembered about them and so there's all these memories being shed and what I like to call it as a concept is community practice with an S uh, to, to get that, you need to have your setup, your plan, um, massive on circles with nothing in the middle of it. So when you're having a, a small group uh, discussion, that there's no there's no blockage in the centre. So all That's those sorts of things. Interesting, it's very interesting the amount of detail that you put there because we often will rock up at a workshop and say, okay, folks, we need to connect with each other. We need to be real. Your turn, your turn, your turn. As distinct from the real time and effort you put into a lot of it's in the, the prep yeah creating the the, uh, the physical environment which which precipitates that as if they're in their own their own world as such so bill i'm wondering this this might by the sound of it take you away from home a fair bit is that the case yep. so how do you as a leader maintain a, a good uh, I, I like to call it work-life integration rather than balance i think the balance thing's overdone but we'll call it balance because that's what most people know of it how do you uh, maintain a good work-life balance well, uh, we're having this uh, meeting on the Wednesday before the Melbourne Cup weekend, and we, we, we have it as a weekend in Victoria. Uh, we have a lot of rituals as a family. Uh, so I've got two grown-up kids in their 20s, um, where one of our rituals every year, you know, I grew up in Melbourne, and uh, we, go and, we go and watch the Bombers every week. And <laughs> uh, my wife, Lisa, loves that because, uh, well, one of them's still at home, and his girlfriend comes along as well. But this weekend, uh, Victorians tend to take that Monday off before Melbourne Cup as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've, had, we've got some long-time family friends where our kids have been about the same age and uh, we're just going off to Blair Gary. We, we, we just hire a house together with these, this other family that we've been great mates with over the years and uh, we like the kids drive it. We, we will not miss Melbourne Cup weekend. Um, and then I think... Uh, when I'm home, just make it count. So I've got, I can't, for people who travel, I mean, the, the way it works in our family, and I was saying to you before, like one of my heroes is my wife, yeah. Lisa. She's she's the champion. She, um, She's just the champion of our, she makes, she makes it all work. 
And talk about, when you say you, uh, you've got two fully grown kids, but you've been doing this work for quite a while, um, uh, there's often a saying, we teach what we most need to learn. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm wondering, can you see real uh, tangible impacts that this work has had on your own family? Your yeah, family? I, reckon, I reckon that's a really well-spotted thing. Uh, I, rec- I reckon that I have such a fast brain that it's a massive challenge for me mm. that when I'm with my kids to to be not to be absolutely there. Yeah. And you know, when they were uh, in the middle of their adolescence, they they would make sure that I was reminded, you do stuff that helps mums and dads and their kids listen to each other Will you yes. listen to me, you yeah. know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, the the, dent- the 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 cobbler's kids have no shoes or something. <laughs> the busman's but, holiday, yeah. yeah. But it is actually interesting in that in that I guess the, the the key the key to great leadership starts with just being present. Like you yes. can't do anything else, no matter how great your skills are yeah. or your knowledge is. Uh, leadership is a, is a connection. And so, uh, do you find that in, in this sort of any post analysis you did that there is a stronger connection, there is a stronger presence between kids and their parents after the workshops? Yeah. So I mentioned my masters before, and we did some. Uh, semi-structured interviews pre and post um, uh, some a couple of father-son programs and I, I had the privilege of being able to actually go and interview some of the wives as well some of the mums and uh, one mother observed that after the camp uh, her son would be speaking and she noticed the absence of a behavior where dad would jump in really quickly and she said, he's, he's actually giving him four or five more seconds. And he's pausing. He would, and yeah. he's stopping and going, hang on, let's listen to this. Mm. So there was this massive shift mm. in the father. Mm. Um, yeah, and then I think in the young people, so I wrote, a paper, you know, I wrote an academic paper. And right in the middle of it, so the outcome for the young people is there was this young bloke I was interviewing and if you've ever had to write an academic transcript you've got to pull all the ums and the ahs in there and if you're doing a verbatim transcript of a teenager there's a lot of ums and ahs he just got really clear talking about the conversation he'd had with his father and he just said i feel older i've never had a conversation like that with my dad i feel older and so what i proffered um in the paper was maybe this is a postmodern rite of passage Mm. Having a conversation of some significance mm. where you feel listened to as a young person. Yeah. Maybe this facilitates a strengthening of the move towards being a young adult. What, a, what an interesting concept because we have, um, there's not a lot of, in our so-called modern society, there's not a lot of ritualistic um, passages into uh, manhood uh, unless certain religious things like it might be a, bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah or, or whatever, or, or you get your license, um, or obviously girls um, start their, their menstrual cycles. But there's a, there, this is a wonderful thing that that conversation is, is, is the beginning of that, that journey into, into adulthood. Every leader has vulnerabilities. And one of the great things about great leaders is they're, they're quite open with their vulnerabilities. What would you say yours were in, in terms of running this business as a leader? Letting go, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Letting go. Yeah. Uh, Letting go in what way? Uh, just uh, other people could do it. Yeah. Uh, 
and uh, perhaps talking you know, initially with my admin team uh, about some of the things that I might be holding up with them that they do better than me and yeah. get out of their way and but not to abdicate but to have some clarity around um, being you know being responsible and accountable to them as well it's a great lesson a lot of our listeners have maybe smaller businesses and I'm as guilty as this and ever we think that are that, that what they want is bill or what they want is Mitch or whatever and so but actually what they want is a great outcome yes and um, and so I know bill that recently you've gone from maybe shifting the paradigm that it has to be you to maybe maybe it's the outcome they want. Tell us about that journey and what's happened for you in that regard. Well, I, well, I want to give a plug for you too, Paul, because you uh, you actually were one of the catalyst makers in this helping me to think larger and, and expand, oh, a, Thank you. expand a perspective, which I remember you saying, because I've, I've, yeah, I've got this program that isn't dependent on it being facilitated by me and my calendar is just about full. Uh, and so you offer me the challenge, well, consider some people that have the right heart spec or the right person spec and the right professional spec. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think you've tried to, you know, you've, you've done it twice where you've uh, taught your IP to others to be able to take it out further beyond your own delivery yeah. capacity. And you said to me, the biggest lesson you learnt was if you can teach it to one or two, why don't you teach it to 30? Yeah. Well, I never I never got that lesson correctly, but I love the fact that you picked that one up. <laughs> and, you know, you were stretching me at that time, and uh, I've actually got some a couple of people that have become part of a strategic guidance group who Excellent. are uh, looking after me as well in terms of uh, setting up some really clear objectives. So uh, I'm now, uh, you know, running time and space events still but I'm going I'm teaching uh, the right people to be able to go in and deliver this in schools well beyond my own capacity because I think you know sometimes it looks extraordinary doesn't it how could someone have forged a business getting mums and dads and their kids to have conversations can't they just do well, that anyway just, but it, what I, I think I think one what a from a marketing point of view and purely business point of view wow, wow what a great business but more than that what a fantastic mission to have in the world and then I guess you look at it, you know, you can't do that mission on your own. No. You've now wonderfully involved a lot of other people and, and, and you're making uh, such a huge impact um, because it's you've thought bigger than yourself. So it's a great lesson for the leaders listening. What's the paradigms that you've bought into that only I can do this or that this is not possible or it doesn't work this way in this industry or whatever? And just, you know, and that could or could not be true, but to continually challenge those paradigms. Um, Bill, the other thing you said is you work with some other um, uh, mentors or advisors. Tell us about, I think you have an advisory board or something along yes. those lines. Tell us about that, how that works. So it's, just, it's actually quite a small group. It's two fellows that I respect who right. are, are helping me and um, and I'm a, in a professional speaking community. And uh, so there's one of my colleagues from there. And then a dad from a school who just came to me uh, had made a big corporate shift himself from being a CEO to doing his own startup, which is going really well. Uh, and he just said, this is good work. If you want a hand making it bigger, I'm happy to help you. And so they've... That would be the wonderful Daniel Fogarty, is that... Is that it? is uh, Daniel Fogarty. And I'll give a plug for Steve Simpson as well. Excellent. Um, who's known for UGRs, Unwritten Ground Rules, yes, the culture yes, guy. Yes. So, yeah, two extraordinary guys who just generously have said, yep, this is good work. They've come and seen events. What have they done? 
uh, this year. Uh, we, we just have six meetings a year. We've had one live meeting, in the, you know, live in person in body, and the rest have been on Zoom because uh, we live in different, you know, well, Steve and I live in different parts of Melbourne and Daniel lives here in Sydney. And uh, they just set out a very simple set of objectives. Get every bit of admin you can off the table that you can, that you're doing right now, mm. and get someone with better abilities than you to do it. Yeah. Teach other people to run the program. So we had our first training in August with uh, people that I flew in from around Australia, and we met in my shed and, uh, and went and saw two events. And, and this week... I have, in the last fortnight, I've, I've set up connections for them to potentially have some jobs and, uh, and get serious about your marketing. So three things they've said, yeah. and that's our agenda at every meeting. So isn't this great that you, you, you saw that, that, like a lot of leaders try to do it on their own, but even though that was one of your vulnerabilities, you, you pushed past that and said, okay, how do I get an external perspective? And what's great about that external perspective, it's also narrowed down too. I mean, so many people have so many priorities. I love that, that you've got, you know. Three. Don't, 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 do, don't do the marketing to get other people to do it. And uh, so don't the admin. get other people to do it and do, do the marketing. So um, what's the overall vision? You're doing that now. If you've got some sort of two, three, four, five-year plan, about what, what would it look like when it was really, really uh, reaching its potential? I'll be fairly humble just with the present that I think if we had four people in each capital city of Australia, right. that would be good. Yeah. Uh, I, I also benefited last year from a, a, a facilitator from my local council who is into export and was in manufacturing and just looked at my numbers. Uh, I just got it as a service through my local council. But he, he has said, once you've set this in Australia, and I also work in the UK, so get that template out. He said, then you could have the manual for delivering the program. Mm. So don't discount that you have to go and teach everyone. You could then write the manual about how to teach people, yeah. uh, train the trainer stuff. Yeah. But there might be a Bill Jennings in the US who runs a suite of education programs and goes, yep, I know what to do here. And so you've got the manual about how to teach. So, so, so like a royalty type yeah, thing. And and, so that's, but, the, that's the business model as such. I know I'm interrupting there. And I'm feeling bad about it based on what you said before about listening. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I'm pushing through my guilt. Um, one of the things is that in terms of the vision, that's the vision for the business. What, sure. What's the vision for the customer? What's the vision for the parents and the kids? Like, what, What's the world you're trying to create here? I really clearly would like as many people to have these conversations of significance as we can. Right. And I'd like to reach as many schools as we can. Right. Uh, because it's, there's something about the, the school being one of the last bastions, one of the last community touch points that we have mm. in this sort of discombobulated world. Mm. Uh, so it's a place where people can come together and it can be very affirming of community. So uh, and it's a, I just think also, ironically, with all of the tech coming in, it, the art of conversation is starting to be lost. Well, but but also, it's probably one of the things that's going to be the critical skill. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for in the future, but equally, I think really it looks extremely simple. But to have a conversation of some significance builds strength in families, builds up resilience. And that seems to be the, the real core of what you're saying here. 
strengthen families, uh, uh, resilience for the family, resilience for... Whatever shape or size they're in, whatever format they're in, separated families, what have you, but just uh, enabling, strengthening conversations to help them because it's a massive thing. Kids making their journey from being a child to an adolescent to an adult, it's it's a huge journey and it's not without its... um, and the parent making that journey from as those kids go right through, I know you're doing seven and nine, but as they leave school and uh, eventually, you know, at 20 or 35 or 40 these days, when the parents become empty nesters, I'm saying the kid's still 40. <laughs> uh, that's a journey for the parent too, to be able to let go. Yeah. So um, there's, there, there's probably parents listening, and if not people who know parents, what's, a, what's one thing that a mum or a dad or a mentor or a grandparent or a a guardian or whatever the term is yeah. these days, what's one thing they can do when they're sitting down with those kids? What's one question they can ask? What's one thing they can do to get a closer relationship without necessarily going to one of your programs? I would say, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you four of the questions that are on the sheet. Sure. And let's apply what we've been discussing about setting up a safe space. Yeah. So in this context, you might just play this bit of the podcast to a young person and say, so I'll just say to your your son or daughter now, this is Bill, I run stuff that helps mums and dads and their kids have conversations they might not ordinarily have. Your parent or mentor has listened to this and is inviting you to have a conversation with them. If you're up for that, um, all I'm asking them to do is make sure that they have your permission and if so that's, that's the psychological safety. Yeah, yeah, just make sure. So I'm really actually yeah. very deliberately lining that out. So, you know, play this back. And if we've got your permission, cool. Go and find a spot where you're not going to be interrupted. And here's four questions that I want you to ask each other in turn. And you can pass on anything that you want. So to each other, ask each other, what is your first memory of me? Mm. Second, what's the best thing about me being your mum, dad or mentor? your son, daughter, the person you're mentoring. What's the best thing about that? Each in turn. What's the hardest thing? The hardest thing, yeah. And finally, what are we going to need to do to keep our relationships strong into the future? What practices can we do? Beautiful questions. And I guess that must generate so much, so much, uh, starting with that wonderful one about fondest memory. Yeah. Uh, so much depth of... Earliest. 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 Fondest is, might be good too. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, maybe, yeah, because maybe the earliest memory isn't necessarily the fondest. Is yeah. It? yeah. But sometimes they're just random too. Yeah, yeah. And, and for a biological parent, it might be that when they saw them come into the world. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, this has been fascinating. I, I just love the fact that, um, you know, we, 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 we interview leaders from all walks of life, business, sport, uh, the arts... Um, but someone who's really leading in a, in a uh, in the broader community and making such a massive difference, um, doing wonderful, wonderful work, and basically setting up generations to be more more resilient, so that our world is more resilient. Are there any any final words on leadership for us? Any sort of pearls that you'd like to uh, to, to leave, in, particularly in terms of, of of family, of school, of community? Well, it's something that I say at every time and space event, and uh, I think that uh, you know parenting uh, can be tough and and we've discussed we've you know talked about the fact that uh, 
you know, what the cobbler's children have no shoes, uh, that none of us are perfect. And I think that one of the things that we really need to embrace is that uh, that's okay. And uh, what I like to bring to people's attention is that if you make an effort and that's fairly obvious at a time and space event because people have come along. Yes. So I actually asked the audience, have you noticed that you've turned up? And I wonder if people share a philosophy with me that turning up's just about half the battle. I love it. What a great note to end on. It was what Woody Allen had said, 99% of success or 90% of life is just showing up. Uh, so, Bill, thank you for showing up today. No worries, uh, I Paul. I think that's a great, a great reminder for us to, to show up and show up in all our, our authenticity. And now I really think I have a deeper understanding of what time and space means. I mean, I've heard the words before. I knew it was your brand, but now I get that, you know, create that psychological space, yeah. make the space important, and then and then create the, the space in terms of time as well. So it's both time and space. And love the fact that you've uh, you know, you created the space for us today and the time to, to share some of your wisdom. Final question, and we'll put it on the um, on our attached email, that is there a way we can contact you? Parents might be listening to this and think about, wow, I wish my school w- would do this event. Is there a way we can contact you? Is there a website or sure. anything else? Sure. So it, you can Google, uh, if you Google time and space, that might be a bit broad. Yeah. <laughs> but if you type in time and space and Bill Jennings, you'll find the website. Okay, but it's www.time-and-then-the-word-space.com.au. And is there a phone number or something? Is sure. A... I'm happy to give my mobile number. Sure. Okay. And what's that? 0425. 787 040. Brilliant. So uh, lots of testimonials. I think I think if uh, if you're out there and you're leading and you had a 90% uh, customer attention or repeat business, you'd be pretty happy. So I think it says <laughs> a lot for what you're doing. And, and thank you. Thank you for adding so much, uh, um, uh, just so much energy and so much uh, passion and commitment and compassion uh, to families. Because I think if we get that right, if we really get families right, so many of our other problems that we're having in in, in the world today uh, could be not necessarily uh, eradicated, but certainly reduced. So good Agreed, to see you, Paul. Bill, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Bye. Well, I hope you've enjoyed these thoughts on strengthening our connections with our children and overall our connections with those around us. The quality of our relationships truly does become the quality of our lives. And that's the essence of what Bill's work is. If you'd like to bring Bill and his beautiful work to your school, you can contact him directly on the details listed below. This is Paul Mitchell for Leaders for Life, and until next time, find the passion, develop the skills, make the numbers, and just like Bill, make a difference.